Hey, I'm Bob Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts and stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present. And now, here's your host, DJ Bob. Hi, I'm Bob Runkle from Long Island, New York, and this is the DJ Bob Show. Today's guest is Ashley M. Spencer. And, well, she's here with us to talk about her retrospective on the Rosie O'Donnell Show and how it impacted her, pop culture in general, and more. Rosie's talk show was such an influential part of my childhood, and I loved seeing a deep dive on it. This past June, when the landmark talk show hit its 25th anniversary. So, let's roll our conversation. Hit it, Nate. So, let's just get into this. Can you kind of tell me who you are and your background and how you got into this before we delve into the the nitty-gritty of it all? Sure. Um, So I'm Ashley Spencer, and I'm an entertainment journalist and writer, uh, reporter. I basically have been in some form doing this um, (laughs) since I could. I was, you know, started off, you know, my high school newspaper and all of that. And then um, when I finished college, I moved to New York. I had done an internship at Cosmo Girl. I got started at uh, J14. So I worked in teen magazines. I just always loved pop culture. Um, obviously, you know, when I was younger, I loved the, the teen magazines. I was a huge consumer of that as a teen. Um, and then I went on to Us Weekly, where I was the uh, senior film editor. So I was covering movies and um, doing interviews with a lot of um, actors for that. And then I moved to Australia, actually. So I did a kind of a switch and um, uh, I, my partner is Australian. So I came down here and um, launched E! News in Australia. So worked on the, that, uh, the digital side of that and the website. And so just always in entertainment news. And then uh, a couple of years ago, decided to go freelance. And so now I write across a variety of outlets, um, the New York Times, Washington Post, Vulture, um, The Guardian, uh, Vanity Fair, different places. And um, it's really fun. I mean, I love it. It's, it's always nice when your job doesn't feel like a job. Totally. Trust me. I think we're doing the same thing, but on different mediums. So exactly. Yes. Yes. So what, are, so what were some of your earliest pop culture obsessions growing up? Oh, well, okay. As I already mentioned, um, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was probably my first like celebrity crush that I remember when I was really little, um, you know, had all the posters, was super into any movie that he was doing. Um, I loved, uh, 
well, home improvement because of him probably. And then, but I loved like the babysitter's club. Um, uh, I, I, now and then, do you remember that movie? Oh yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I liked, I was really into coming of age movies, uh, especially that were about girls, um, which, you know, there weren't that many at the time. There were a lot of boys sports movies. There was, you know, the mighty ducks and, um, uh, what was that other one with the soccer team? The big, the green, Oh, the big green. Yes. Um, And so there were a lot of those and I I watched those, but anytime it was, you know, kind of more about the girls, I really got into those. Um, And then let's see, well, then, you know, pop music took over my life (laughs) and um, Hanson was my first concert. Um, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, basically, you know, any and all Mandy Moore. I grew up in Orlando, Florida, so I was kind of, amongst you were right that there. when it yeah exactly so when it was like really happening i was um fortunate to kind of i felt like i was close to it but you know at the time like social media didn't really exist um the internet it wasn't you didn't feel like you had the access to stars that i think kids now feel like so even though i was right there it wasn't like i was like oh they've you know just ate at this place or you know it didn't, i didn't you could Text Mandy Moore in a minute. <laughs> right. I didn't, I didn't really feel like I, I had that connection. So it was more just like, I would imagine that, oh, I could see them at any time. And, um, and, you know, like Nickelodeon studios, they filmed a lot of things um, at uh, Universal in Orlando. Uh, they, at that closed time. Way, they closed. They way closed too that. Soon. I'm just I know. Say that. I think they did too. I mean, it was, yeah. So, so that was always like, you know, I imagined I could, you know, get on, figure it out or something like that. I never did, um, yeah. but yeah, I, it was great. So let's just talk about how we came into each other's context with your Rosie article. Mm-hmm. So what made you want to cover this talk show that is well regarded among the era, but not really much elsewhere? Yeah. Well, I think that's just it. Like it, it factored so much into my childhood. I mean, it was massive. I, um, let's see. So she, it started in 96. So I was about 10, um, when nine or 10, when she was, you know, starting to blow up. And I obviously like, I had loved Harry the spy. I loved, you know, other things she had done. And, um, I remember, you know, watching the show after school, it came on in Orlando at like 3 p.m. or something. I think it was like right before the Oprah slot, which was at 4 p.m. So you could yeah. kind of <laughs> do <too>. both. Yeah. <laughs> so I I would always watch it. And, and I felt like, you know, she just connected with people. You felt like she could be your aunt or your neighbor or um, just someone that you knew. And so and, and she had people on that I liked, like she had on Britney Spears and NSYNC and she was, you know, in touch with the pop culture um, milestones. Like she wasn't just doing the big blockbuster movies and the time, like obviously Tom Cruise was a huge thing for her, but it wasn't just those um, things that, you know, maybe older adults would like. She was really looking at all angles. And um, so, you know, when I started thinking about, well, the 25th anniversary was coming up and um, it's always good when you're doing these nostalgic pieces, you kind of want a peg. So you want um, an, a, a milestone anniversary, something to really hook into. And uh, so I started 
uh, working on it towards that. And also, I mean, at the same time, you know, there were so many headlines. Um, everything was kind of blowing up at Ellen, um, at the Ellen DeGeneres show and, and the culture there. And not not to strictly compare Rosie to Ellen, but I, I think it's interesting to look at, you know, I was curious, like, was it a similar vibe at the Rosie O'Donnell show? Is this something that is just the way talk shows work? And um, so I really wanted to talk to a lot of different people who worked on the show at various levels to find out, you know, kind of what their experiences were like. And so I talked to to interns and um, lower level staff members that would have, you know, been getting kind of the the grunt work and then up to executives and, and different people to really, you know, find out the story. So like how long did it take you to kind of rally everybody together to get all this content? Yeah, I mean, that one, I worked on it probably the interviews over a couple of months, I would say. Um, yes. Yeah. Probably a couple of months. And then, but the story, it took a while to um, come out because it was time to the anniversary. So it was, it was kind of a longer lead story. Um, but yeah, it's, it was really just building on the interviews. And I think I did Rosie's interview, maybe one of the last interviews after I had talked to other people. So I knew kind of what, what to better ask her. And was she cool? Like, tell me. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but but that's like, I don't know, often, and you've probably talked to um, comedians too. The comedians, you know, people have such um, expectations of, of what a comedian will be like. And I think there's so much pressure on funny people to be funny all the time. And you expect they're going to be happy-go-lucky and they're going to be just, you know, spitting out jokes left and right. And, and oftentimes I found comedians are some of the most like serious stoic people to actually talk to. And it's a bit harder to get them to open up and cause they, you know, are used to kind of deflecting with jokes and different things. And, um, but she, I felt like was just so candid and so, um, open and warm. Like there is that warmth there that you just feel like, um, she, uh, you know, you can tell, obviously she's had her struggles. She's a bit overcome different things. She's had challenges in her life and been through different phases, but, um, I just feel like she really has that gift of connecting with people and total strangers. I mean, you just can feel it. Um, I could feel it. We just, you know, did a zoom and an hour and a half or a couple of hours. And, um, I just, she, she, she was everything you would want her to be. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, she connected with every audience like we were mm-hmm. talking before. And why do you think that is? Well, I think, you know, she she isn't from a Hollywood family. She's not from that world. Like, she didn't grow up privileged. She didn't grow up um, with this expectation on her that she was going to, you know, follow in some big family legacy of, of being a star, you know, she's Yeah, from, but she knew, she knew that she wanted she to did. be a star at the same yes. time. Yes, exactly. She had that drive and she had that ambition. Um, but, you know, I don't think she's ever forgotten where she came from. I don't think she's ever, uh, you know, um, kind of lost touch with those Long Island roots. And I um, haven't. And she literally 15, <laughs> It's literally 15 minutes away from me. Amazing. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. She, and she just, she was never afraid to be 
real on, on TV. Like, you know, I think I talked about in the piece, like there was that time she grew out a chin hair and put a bead on it, like things that, you know, she wasn't afraid to kind of show her human side. Um, and she would be open about her weight loss journey, or she would just, you know, wear a hoodie or a sweater. She wasn't always trying to be camera perfect and the perfect person, which, you know, now it's a lot more common, I think, to with Instagram and, and with different things, celebrities, it's popular to, you know, share no makeup selfies or to just be, you know, on TikTok, like very unfiltered and have your messy room and just do things that are a bit more raw. But especially in the 90s, you know, everything um, as far as how celebrities were presented, I think was a lot more polished and it was, you know, filtered through um, the pages of a magazine or or TV editing. And so for her to have a talk show and for her to just kind of say, this is me, take it or leave it. I'm going to be myself was pretty radical. Yeah. What I found the most interesting was in the first season or so, um, her wardrobe, she was wearing men's suits. Yes. And that was, that was, you know, a directive, I think, from the studio and from corporate that was like, this is what you need to do to be a, a serious talk show host. And then they quickly realized, oh, that's not really your vibe. And that's yeah, doing we're not getting that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're not connecting in the way that you could if we let you just wear what you wanted to wear. Like there is this moment that I distinctly remember right after 9-11 for like mm. a solid month, she was wearing like American flag shirt. Yeah. Just because, you know, in that time we all needed it. But, you know, everybody, but having her be the voice for New York and for mm. the country at that time. Right. It was special. Well, I was really amazed too um, when I talked to her because obviously that affected her deeply. You know, she's a, she's a person who struggles with depression and anxiety and to have, you know, when 9-11 happened, you know, effectively, you know, in her backyard um, to, to, and, and they were shooting that day. And, you know, she kind of just ran out of the studio, scooped up her kids um, and, and went home. And I think, you know, she, she talked about this very visceral, real, sensation she had where she just couldn't imagine going back into the city. She couldn't imagine going back to work like in that day. And in the, like the couple of days after she was just like, I can't be there. This is too much. I don't, I don't want to go on. And then literally a week later, she's back on set, you know, chin up, got her FDNY hoodie on really just rallying um, her viewers. And, and because you're right. I think it is that she knew people needed it and she knew as hard as it was for her, it was hard for a lot of people. And, um, and, and I think also with, you know, she had such a connection with Broadway and such a connection with, with New York itself. Like there's so much of but Rosie is so intertwined with New York and with the city. And um, I think, you know, to have the show as that mouthpiece to say, New York is still here. We're okay. Like that, that was a really important moment for her. And while I was watching little pieces of that first show back after, I think it was two weeks after, she she had she had Elmo on to comfort the kids. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's yeah. The, like to even think of that. Like yeah, she's not going back to her her quote unquote normal or what mm. would be normal 
in the talk show landscape. She wants to be... She's like the talk show version of Mr. Rogers. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's really accurate. I, yeah, I, and I think she was always looking out like for the little guy. Like she wanted to make sure the littlest people were comforted and they found something in her show. And I mean, I um, was. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know that would have been her her goal, and and she knew that she could have an impact on on people like you. And her ties to Nickelodeon helped too. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. The Nick News, like she would end Kids Choice Awards, like she would do so much. Um, she was a superstar in that world. <laughs> you know, it was like Amanda Bynes, Lori Beth Denberg and Rosie O'Donnell. Like it was she she could fit in with these other kids stars like Danny Tamborelli. And um, they had all their their people. And then Rosie was just like and, and to an extent now, I think, you know, Ellen, Ellen also hosts the Kids Choice Awards or The Rock or there's certain people who you know, can be in their thirties and forties and just can still connect with the, the youth audience. And I mean, uh, Rohi even did the case Tracy work like a year after her show was done. So she was yeah. still relevant. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think also like the, the tickle me Elmo craze, like there were so many things that she was just so in touch with what was hot and what was, you know, on the pulse of, of, of she helped, she helped sell that and make that the biggest young toy of that Christmas. Yes, it was basically because of her that it became which, this crazy. Which I you know, still have. I Do still you? have. <gasps> does it work still? Years ago. Does, yeah. it, yeah. does it still giggle? And... Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I love that. I, w- I bet it's worth something now. But it doesn't shake anymore. It's just laughs. Um, but, but it's still cool. <laughs> yeah, um, that's definitely cool. Yeah, but like she was showing touch with pop culture to a point where she had her own Christmas album. Yes. Yeah. Two I, of like, them. Right. And I, I think, yeah, that's the thing. It's like she was just in all different zones. Like in TV and movies and music and, and uh, scripted, non-scripted. Like she could just do everything. Um, and I think that's obviously very rare to have a celebrity who can function on all of those different levels and not just attempt them, but be extremely successful. You know, a lot, a lot of celebrities attempt talk shows, attempt to host a talk show or attempt to put out an album or attempt to, to do Broadway. And it falls flat on its face. But I feel like she, even in mediums, like, you know, maybe she's not the strongest singer, but she had that charm and she had that passion that it worked somehow. And her humor, I think, you know, incorporating her comedy into it um, really worked for her as well. So what were some of your favorite moments from like Rosie from revisiting the show for this piece? Well, I, I was really interested. So her, the audience participation aspect of it, um, that, you know, I think that's now a given, like we expect, um, you know, Jimmy Fallon or Ellen, they walk out and they kind of chit chat to the audience, but no one was really doing that then. And the way that she did it, like, first of all, she would have someone different from the audience, like a super fan, just introduce her at the top of every show. (laughs) And you never really knew. It was like so exciting because they weren't media trained. They weren't like they were reading off the script, but they prompter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But they were kind of like 
could go rogue at any minute. And they were so excited that like, and then we hit the mixed bag too. Like you could get like an old couple and then like a college kid. Exactly. Um, And from all over the country, um, you know, sometimes from Canada or wherever they had traveled from. And it was, you know, obviously they had like come to New York. They were all hyped up on this huge, like a lot of them first time in New York, big trip, big city. And then they get to be in the same room as Rosie O'Donnell. Like, it was a loose cannon. Like they could, they had their moment on TV. So they were so excited. They would do their little, um, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so. And today on the Rosie O'Donnell show is whoever, 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 and hit it, John. And then they would play the theme song and then Rosie would come out and then she would interact with them, which that's, then it would really like, you didn't know what was going to happen because she would either, and it was, she was so good at it because she obviously would watch what they had done. Um, and if they had flubbed a line or they were doing something weird, like she would call them out in a nice way, but like, then they would have a banter about like, yeah. um, that bit. And, and she would just really connect with people in that way. And then, um, throughout the show, she would incorporate audience games and she would take like there, I think, um, like when Madonna would, obviously she's friends with Rosie and she would be on <laughs> quite a few times and, they would, um, I think they did this more than once, but they would uh, walk out into the audience and um, play Mo or Row, they called it. And so like Mo yes. being Madonna and Row being Rosie. And uh, they would just like go up to pick a random audience member. Well, I assume it was random. They might've pre-vetted these people. Um, but, and, and say a fact or a quote or something. And the, um, person would have to guess if it was about Mo or Roe, um, but they would do it in a very theatrical way. And, and they would do and like Madonna. I also feel like things like that, like Madonna, you're not used to really seeing her be loose and, and open up. And like, she would just be so funny with Rosie and, um, and, and also just like right among these real people in the audience. And then if they got it right, they would, she'd pull out a big bag and hand them a, a Game Boy or a, a DVD player or something that was like the newfangled technology of the time. Um, and so you felt like if I could just get in the studio, if I could just go see Rosie, like, wow, I can one, encounter these celebrities, two, maybe leave with really cool swag, um, and three, have this amazing story because it's not just like a, hi, I'm Rosie. It's this incredible interaction that you'll remember for the rest of your life. And you couldn't post about it on social media. Like it was something you told your friends and family and other people and that was it. Right. Well, it's funny because like by the later seasons, um, and I guess probably all throughout, but especially towards the end, people had started blogging was kind of taking off. So there were um, nothing like we see now, but like a few like very rudimentary people would start having little blogs. And so when you go digging, you can find some people that would. Oh, did you find any? Yeah. Yeah. Like just some people like writing about today. I was in the audience, the Rosie O'Donnell show. And here's what happened. And they would just like give a whole. Oh, I want to see some of that. If you can hear me. I'll have have to find it. Yeah. 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 It's um, and it it might even be from like the internet archive. Now I don't know that they still exist, but you can, you can go find the, the old backlogs. And um, so there were like people wanted to share, but yeah. And and that made it feel so special because there wasn't this access, you know, she didn't have an intern filming behind the scenes backstage and putting it on Instagram to show everyone what it was really like at the show. Like people didn't know you only knew what you saw on TV and, and was very selectively put out there. So one of my favorite parts of your piece is right after 
the Tom Selleck NRA debacle, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to start there? I think that because I remember that yeah. I have that. Yeah. Well, that's part of it because I know people remember it because it was, you know, it's something that if you bring it up when you when you think of the big moments on Rosie, it's probably Barbara Streisand, Tom Cruise, Tom Selleck. Like those are kind of the big. Donny Osmond, we'll get Donny Osmond, yes. Um, but I think I wanted to to open with with Tom Selleck one because it, it's just such a uh, explosive kind of moment. But also, it marked I think such an example of um, the kind of show that it was versus the kind of person she was and the kind of uh, tug of war she was going through of. Um, wanting to have an impact, wanting to affect change, wanting to be true to herself, but also feeling pressure um, to, to be, you know, the, the, the queen nice and to, and, and she didn't want to let people down, but she, she wanted to um, be authentic. And I think, Increasingly, you know, after Columbine, um, America, like things like that, that affected her in a huge way, that affected the country in a huge way, she didn't feel like she could ignore. And what I thought was really interesting, and and, um, I think I kind of revisited later in the piece, but like when that happened with Tom Selleck, she didn't think it was going to be a big deal. Like she knew the interview had kind of gone off the rails, but after it was over, she was like, was that okay? Like she asked the audience. And I think that was actually one of the the blogs I found was someone who had been in the audience that day. And they were like, Rosie came over between the commercial break and came up to us and like, was just chatting. Like, did I do all right? Like, how was that? And people, you know, everyone was kind of like, Um, but I think she genuinely didn't think that people would be so shocked that she was advocating for gun control, that she was taking an issue with this. Um, And obviously it, it became an ongoing thing and, and something that, you know, as, as her life went on and, and on different shows like The View or um, her later talk shows, like it became more more prominent the, the way she spoke out and, and the stances that she took. But I thought that was just an interesting way to kind of give insight into her as a, as a complex person and talk show host. And it's interesting how the guest right after was Jake Lloyd because <laughs> he got his own issues. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. to show the framing of it all, he just like put it all in perspective. Yeah, and at the time, I mean, he was so tiny, it, but that was like his first. I mean, that was his first movie. But now he had done Jingle All the Way, so that was one of his. What, his which movies. is how I know him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know Star Wars, but come right. on. So I mean, he was he was so he was in the industry, but he like this was a huge promo tour for him. Star yeah. Wars is massive, and you know he's he's a little guy, and they that was the thing that like, you expect to go on this show, and you expect it's going to be super friendly and. Uh, low stakes, and then you see her and, and Tom Selleck kind of go head to head and uh, maybe start to question what you've gotten yourself into. Or what his handlers got him, exactly. got him into. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But on a personal note, because this is just an organic conversation, one of the things that really stuck with me is that she would include people with disabilities on mm. the show. 
Mm-hmm. And as as a kid, seeing that, seeing myself represented was a big deal. Yeah. Did you feel like other talk shows and like, was anyone else doing that or was that really unique to her? That was, well, to be honest, I mean, Oprah did it, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, let's talk to the kid. Let's, let's talk to them about kid things, what they like to Mm. do, what it was. And like, and she was just always so interested in the child and would always advocate for them. Even in, she would have them back on for um, subsequent episodes. And it was, a, it was a cool thing for me. And that's, that's why I connected with it so much. Yeah. Because I saw myself. Yeah. Because in cartoons, you don't see that. No. Now you do. But seeing a kid in a wheelchair on a Nickelodeon show or a Disney show is just unheard of. Right. Yeah. And I feel like you're right. Like when she would talk to kids, like she would have made that less about, you know, being in a wheelchair or, or different, uh, you know, hardships or anything. She would have, it would have been like, Oh, what's your favorite, you know, cartoon character, which superhero do you like? Like she would have been so interested in getting to know the kid as a person. Whereas maybe some of those other hosts might've focused on, wow, like, your life must be hard or something, you know, and, and trying my, to make it, my, yeah. my favorite, my favorite thing I always see on these type of things. is like cool chair. It's like, it's just how mm-hmm, they get around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And even in, even in life, I get that. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's just to know that we were represented, not fully, because there wasn't um, a disabled person on every episode, but seeing people my age or older that went through hardships just hanging Mm. with Rosie was super nice. Yeah, yeah, that representation and just, like, normalizing it and making it, like, showing all different types of people, I think, would have been uh, at the top of her mind because, I mean, also when you when you talk about like the people that she staffed the show with, like she was very conscious of um, looking outside of straight white men, which was, uh, you know, what talk shows were largely comprised of behind the scenes and um, behind the the hosting desk, like at that time. So, you know, she really, she wasn't out then, but she was really uh, concerned with hiring um, out gay people to work on her show and women and just bringing on people that might've been marginalized in other situations. So I think, you know, she was always trying to be inclusive and again, yeah, not to the extent that we would expect today in a lot of, in some ways. Um, and you know what? We're still not there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. As far as disability representation, Mm -hmm. we're just not there yet. No. And that's my I mean, this isn't a disability podcast by any stretch, but I used to not talk about it on Mm -hmm. this show. And that was because 
I didn't want it to be the focus of it. I didn't want it to be like the pity party of it all. Yeah. But then I started to think, oh, it created dialogue. It makes people want to know more. So why don't I talk about it? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel like, are there any shows now that are doing a good job, like, especially with representation um, of disabled people or like, who, who do you think now is kind of leading the way in that regard? Or is it kind of, no one's really stepping up enough still? It's kind of, how do I put it? It's kind of a case by case basis. I mean, sometimes I'll see something like an episode of something like, Oh, that was good. But the last thing I can remember was this film called Wonder from a few years mm, back. Mm-hmm. And that movie really impacted me because that that movie was directed by a guy that directed, you know, The Perk of Being a Wallflower, which changed my life. It got me at a real, a real dark place. So right, right as soon as I saw he's doing a movie about people with disabilities, at not at the forefront, but having that be a focal point, we like, oh, win win, you know? Yeah. But, but, but that that's being the one with, with Jacob Tremblay, right? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, which then you're also like, he's kind of playing the disabled boy right like and he's so yeah, like yeah. you're not really casting disabled actors still which is kind of an issue but, but i will say there was a show on abc called speechless that did it uh, quite well okay. they they casted a character they casted a boy with cp on it mm. I, have to, I have to watch that it was show. a good it was a good sitcom it was it lasted three seasons but it wasn't it wasn't that wasn't even perfect. No show is perfect. They're going to yeah. have, everybody's going to have, oh, it wasn't like me, but it's not going to be like you. It just has to check some boxes. Yeah. Have you, um, there's a show called, um, I think it's called Everything's Going to Be Okay with yes. um, Josh Thomas. And they, one of the main characters is um, an autistic girl and they cast an autistic actress and she's so good. Yep. And um, I know that's, that's a show that a lot of people within the autistic community have really praised for doing a good job with representation and actually. Yeah. I love you know, it. Yeah. I'm, I just got canceled. I'm really sad about that. Cause it only got what? two seasons. No. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it, it got two seasons and then I think, but you know, in the See, that's, age, what, that's what bothers me. People yeah. don't give that. A, and it's not. But I feel like it could get revived. Like a streamer can save it. That's the thing. Like now I think that is the good thing with streaming and so many different um, options is that a lot of these shows are finding life um, and finding an audience that before when it was just network TV and cable, you know, the powers that be would say, well, we can't sell that show or there's not enough people to watch it. And now you're, you're having, well, there is someone to watch it. It might not be the millions and millions and millions of people that you want, but there are people that it can reach and there are people that it impacts and people who are craving this content. Um, and so I hope, hope it comes back and I hope someone picks up because it's so good it really like i would laugh and cry every episode oh loved yeah it. i mean there was i mean the thing about those type of shows is that i can understand 
I hate TV shows and movies that are just created for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Like, with that in mind, he a movie like Wonder was universal, but yeah. there are some movies like. There are some pitches I see for shows, and it's like a show for a show for people with autism. Like, right? No, no. Then it then it becomes like an after-school special. You know what exactly. I'm saying? So it's yeah, like, yeah. You gotta just wedge it into something else. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, an organic, like just entertaining show that features people that have disabilities and, and different kinds of people that everyone can appreciate and watch and not just yeah looking for, well, you can only like the show if you have been through this specific thing, because that's not how anything works. Like I don't only watch movies about women with my exact background that have done exactly my job. Like that's boring. Like, you know, I think everyone is a lot more open-minded and wants to see, uh, a wider variety of content than people might traditionally have assumed. And personally, I think Rosie would have loved something like Wonder or yes, something like something that included people with disability. I think that would have been a a good moment for her show and you know her well being teamed because yes. she always loved doing stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. And I think, yeah, she always, and she's still like on her, she's on TikTok now or on like Instagram. Like she's I love always, it so much. <laughs> TikTok, you don't stop. Um, she is always kind of speaking out when she sees injustices or I think especially like with Britney Spears or different things, she's been so passionate about like, you just feel like she feels things in a really deep way. Like she, um, you know, she knew Brittany from doing the show. I don't know that she's like super close with Brittany, but I feel like she has such compassion and concern for her. And um, I think that's just how she is with a lot of people. Like when she sees people that have been, you know, unfairly maligned or um, uh, on the outskirts of society, she wants to to raise them up and she wants to, to put them back in the spotlight. And I think that's really wonderful. Now, here you, here's your little kind of a fun question. It's kind of like a palate cleanser. Is there, <laughs> is there anything that you found in your research that you were like, why didn't I know this existed? This is amazing. I'm glad I found this clip or this article. Uh, well, let me think. Um... I was going to say before you said clip, like I was, I was thinking about things people told me um, during the interviews that I didn't, didn't know before. Well, we could, we could do anything. I mean, okay. Well, one of the things, and I think now, you know, a few people have talked about it, but um, the Krispy Kreme conveyor belt that like, just right. she, she mentioned like, I love Krispy Kreme and like literally Krispy Kreme sent the entire like apparatus that they have at the stores to, to, for them to assemble backstage to, you know, cause they can do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And so the staff would just like have these hot and fresh Krispy Kreme donuts whenever they wanted them. Um, things like, like that, like just the power that she had that, um, you know, not only did everyone want to be on the show, but every brand wanted to get their product on the show. Wasn't um, there like a Listerine thing yes. for a while too? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
the scope. Yeah. The, and that's something too, that's really interesting about her um, is she had this knack, like she would take these negative things, um, you know, at least when the show first started and, and for a while um, that either, you know, most people might say, oh, yikes, like, I'm going to brush that aside. We're not going to address that I was voted the least kissable celebrity in America. Like, that's embarrassing. That's, you know, why draw attention to that negativity? And instead, she found ways to, like, incorporate it into the show and kind of, like, dole out justice in, in still a positive way, but also really kind of stick it to them. Like, I mean, that was... She by them promoting their competitor and like with her massive audience and telling her audience to say no to scope and pick Listerine, like they could have never imagined when they did that poll that they would have had that sort of retribution from Rosie O'Donnell. Um, and the same with like Donny Osmond, like you mentioned, um, something yeah. like that, where she, she loved this guy. He comes on and he makes a fat joke during their interview on her show. Um, and she could have just, you know, been hurt in private and just never had him back and been vengeful, um, you know, stewing in the background. But instead, she brought him back out and made him wear a dog suit and sing puppy love to her, like <laughs> just kind of, you know, bringing him down, but also showing that she was a force to be reckoned with. And I I, I think that's worth noting is, that week before they did um, live to tape, so that week live as, as yeah. it aired. Yep. Yeah. Everybody exactly. saw that. Mm-hmm. And you can see when you watch that clip, like the shock on her face. Like she's trying to keep it funny, but like that was really rude. And I can't imagine a celebrity saying that to a host today. She kept that. I don't want to call it a bit, but she kept mm-hmm. it going for like two mm-hmm. weeks before yeah. it came back. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, she didn't let things go. Um, I think there, you know, there was, I just didn't go on the piece, but like there were articles from the time I, I did mention in the piece that, uh, Whitney Houston, one of, one of the dramas on the show, <laughs> was that she, she backed out, um, of a performance like 45 minutes before she was supposed to show up. And that was, you know, the, that was the Cinderella, um, yeah. Thing. I mean, the- yes. The, the TV wonderful world of Disney. Um, but you know, at that time that was obvious, like Whitney was having her own personal struggles. Like there were a lot of things going on in her life that factored into that. Um, but obviously Rosie was not pleased to, uh, have her, you know, high profile main guest back out. And so I think that there were some articles and I haven't done reporting on this. I don't know that if it's, you know, 100% true, but, um, the Grammys were either the next year or a few months after, that scheduled appearance and Rosie was, I believe hosting the Grammys. I'll have to look back into this, but I remember there was something about like, there were reports from backstage about Rosie icing out Whitney and like not making something run smoothly with Whitney because she was kind of still holding that grudge from when Whitney uh, didn't show up on her show. And wasn't there a time where, wasn't there a time where I vividly remember watching this, there was a moment where, Whitney came back on and gave Rosie like a note or something like. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. I'll have to go. Like a, like to a go doctor, like, like a doctor. No, it was so funny. <laughs> so yeah. they they must have made. I'm sure um, they made up. I'm sure there would have been a, a public, 
you know, I just thought that possible. was funny. Yeah. Uh, that could only happen session. on that show. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you expect. Like you expect it to have a happy ending. You expect, you know, you, you, whatever was going on behind the scenes, you kind of want, you came to expect that she would not shy away from addressing it, but she was also going to kind of like, she took the higher road in a lot of instances, but she also didn't just let things go. She didn't let people get away with, <laughs> with bad behavior on her show. I mean, she, she still talking about that moment, that Whitney moment. She would, mm. like, Try to get caught with everybody. Yeah, yeah, and she is. I mean, that was something too. Like, um, I do quite a few nostalgia pieces where I talk to people about movies or TV shows they made. Oh, I love the Brady. I love the Brady bunch. Uh, oh, thank you, you, thank you. But what happens is a lot of the time people will say, "Oh, well, I wish you'd interviewed me 20 years ago, and I would remember all these details, and I could tell you exactly." But it's so long ago. Like, you know, people if it wasn't a huge moment in their life or their favorite film, like they don't remember everything. Rosie remembers everything like her memory recall. She had so many details, so many, you know, just like a a Rolodex in her head of episodes and guests. And so, you know, as a, as an interviewer, that's amazing to have someone that, that actually can, can give you these vivid stories still 25 years later. Yeah. And I think like we're talking about her, her interview style. It's like nobody, people try to emulate that style so much, but that was just her. Yeah. And they do try to emulate, like that's not the standard. Like it, it watching, if you watch Rosie back now and you weren't really watching her at the time, or you had never seen her before, you're like, okay, well, she just does what we expect talk show hosts to do. You know, she's having this banter. She knows she's like praising their movies. She's saying she loves their work. She is quoting something. She's acting like a fan. That wasn't what was happening then. Like, you know, Dave Letterman, Jay Leno, people at the time, especially with some of this, uh, you know, quote unquote, fluffier stuff, the pop culture stuff, the younger audience, the the um, teen movie stars, like when they would go on Dave Letterman, he would insult them. He'd be like, all right, so this movie seems pretty dumb. Like stuff, like he would just say like, he but like, but like so who are you dating now? Like, yeah, exactly. Like- oh, I mean, don't even get me started when you watch 90s talk show clips and the way they treated young women. Like it is shockingly bad and shocking, shockingly consistent in, in the, the lack of depth and um, anything beyond comments on their body and uh, uh, very shallow like treatment of them. Um, but that was something too, like Rosie wasn't like that. Like she would be so genuinely interested and, and obviously like she couldn't have actually, you know, before doing the interviews um, have known everything about everyone, but if someone was coming on to promote um, like little Hayden Panettiere came on to, to do uh, Remember the Titans. And obviously Rosie had seen the movie, obviously like she would just find things to like, you know, cutie patootie. Like she would just go out of her way to um, show that these were people you should pay attention to. She made every guest feel important and she made the audience feel like this is someone who needs to be on your radar. And obviously for publicists, for advertisers, like, that is gold. Like you can't buy that, <laughs> that publicity, like to have that stamp of approval and pretty much everyone got the stamp of approval, maybe not Tom Selleck. Um, but 
you know, that, and that happens all the time now. That's just how it is. You want a talk show, you expect, um, if you're a celebrity, you expect, okay, they're going to praise me. I'm going to look good. I'll tell a funny story. Um, and that's that. But at the time that really wasn't a given, it wasn't always going to be a positive experience you weren't going to come out looking amazing. Um, so I think she really took that to a level that we now expect, but that was definitely not the scene at the time. On a broader scope, what is your favorite Rosie interview that you saw during your research mm. or that you remember? There were just so many. And again, like <laughs> I, um, I was like you, like I was into the, the kid stuff and I was into the, the, the younger stars, but watching it back now, and this definitely probably wasn't the best interview or my favorite, but um, when she had like, Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson and Rupert Grant on for the first Harry, first Harry Potter movie. I think it's just a fascinating study in in interviewing and in and she in, genuinely loved the book. She too. Lo- oh, she was a big part in putting that on the map as well. Like she was one of the first super fans of Harry Potter um, on TV and and in the public. But like those kids, this was the first movie. They were super young. They're British. Like they're not really from the Hollywood child star machine. They aren't, they're media trained, but they're not really organically great at giving interviews at that point. So they come on the show and it's the three of them. They're tiny. I think they're, you know, 11, 12 years old. And they're like, Daniel Radcliffe is so shy. Like he can barely like answer the questions. Like Emma Watson's doing a very polished, like, canned answers but not like you know they're all kind of giving different vibes but none of them are really good for tv and Rosie it, all is, bl- it all kind of blends together yeah. yes and rosie is like working overtime to make these kids happen and to to make them feel comfortable and um i love how that little footstool pops out from under the chair for the the kids and for shorter people to um you know rest their legs on like i just thought that was so cool as a kid um and but so that was that was one that just sticks out as being like that could have gone off the rails and really you know just died um, instantly. But she was so skilled at making people feel comfortable at interviewing kids, and because um, you know at that stage they're they're almost more like uh, regular kids from the audience than they were celebrity kids because they were just so green and um, really earnest in there, and it was very cute. But like. It's kind of you watch it through your hands now to be like, oh, what's going to happen? Are you shocked at all the reception that this piece has gotten? Like from writers and from former staff that you didn't interview? Like that's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you never know how a piece will fully be received. Um, Like I've done some things that I'm like, oh, everyone's going to love this. This is going to take off. And then literally it gets not that much traction. No one really shares it or comments. And I'm like, oh, but it was great. Um, and then Rosie, but I think, you know, the reason I'm talking to you, because so many people remember the show, were touched by the show, um, had had their lives positively impacted by it, um, that I think, and, you know, I don't know how much of that even like comes down to what I actually wrote and, and, what's in the story as much as just like here's someone paying attention to the Rosie O'Donnell show. But if I can kind of compliment the article for a second, it it wasn't a nostalgia piece. 
Mm. It was a look inside. Yeah. A work day and a grind that just happened to be viewed by millions of people each day. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's something that I really wanted to do was kind of pull back the curtain and see what it was like to work on the show. At that it, could time. Have, it could it could have been like, do you remember this? Do you remember? It wasn't that. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just fun facts like Rosie. Cause I think you can find that online already and you can find those in, in just watching clips and things. But I mean, something that a lot of people who responded to the piece, um, kind of like you were saying, like a lot of people use the phrase, like this show saved me, like this show, um, is the reason I'm here today or is, you know, really helped me get through things. You know, a lot of, um, gay men would, would share the article or write to me about like, she was the only one, like I, she made it feel okay to be me. Like she, she showed the things that I liked. She like who they were little kids at the time. And I think that a lot of people probably underestimated the impact she was having on kids, on the gay community, on, you know, on, on people who felt not represented elsewhere. And, um, that she had this safe space for them and for, for many years. And it was everywhere. Like the ratings were so high, like it was so popular to see her shine in that way. And to see that kind of content be not just accepted, but applauded by America that mattered. And that mattered to the little kids watching. It matters still to them today. Um, the, the adults that remember that. So I think that's why the piece resonated because she resonated. And it's interesting. I talk to people my age or even younger about Rosie and they, they just, they, I try to show them clips and they just don't get it. <laughs> you know? I know. Yeah. That is the heartbreaking thing. Uh, like a lot of times, I feel like if you didn't live through something and when you go back and try to, to watch it again or to explain it to someone who didn't, wasn't there at the time, it, you can never, it doesn't connect in the same way. Like, and I think like you were at such a tender age, like that's such an impressionable time in your life. Things just sink in more. Like, and that's the reason why there's so many reboots and things now for things that happened 20 years ago, because the things we saw when we were 12, are still like the best movies ever, even if they're not really the best, <laughs> you know, like that's why I wasn't the Brady Bunch movies. Like I was obsessed. Are they, I mean, I think they're the best movies. I think they're amazing comedies, but is that also because I was 11 years old and thought this was incredible. So, you know, that's always the, the, the trade-off, but I think that things that is a very uh, malleable time in people's lives and things stick with you for the rest of your life that, that you encountered at that time. So, how do you feel about the transition when Caroline Ray took over? Mm -hmm. Were you, or mm -hmm. were you watching during that time? I remember, I remember really liking Caroline Ray. I, I remember Me thinking too. she was really um, cool. And I think she had that Sabrina um, cred, which I was, you know, watching Sabrina, the teenage witch and show. So I think that was um, pretty smart of them because that again, tapped into that younger audience who would recognize her. Um, I really liked her. I, I loved the Bonnie Hunt show. Like I really liked these like 
older blonde women. I thought they were, you know, killing it on daytime TV. Like Rosie found this winning formula and then they were like, okay, we're going to tap into that. So they kind of made the the similar cartoony vibes and um, everything try and be like Rosie. And of course, you know, you can't, you can't duplicate what she had done. Um, So yeah, Caroline Ray was short-lived. I don't remember being like, oh man, Caroline Ray. Like, I, I think I was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't know that I had, I was not a super allegiant kid that I was like, oh, Rosie's out. Like, I won't watch anyone else. Like, I think I was just fine. Whoever's there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. However, I did like Wayne Brady. Talk oh, I loved Wayne Brady. I loved Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. Um, I was really into that. Um, and well, Wayne, Wayne Brady, a fellow Orlando local. Um, yeah. So I, I, I was really proud of him. Same with like Joey Fatone and half of NSYNC. Like anytime there was someone from, from, from the local Orlando scene making it big, I felt like, oh, I could be next. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I could go, I could, so we've been talking for a while and I noticed a couple things. Mm. You were, you were a Nickelodeon head too, right? I was Nickelodeon and then I was Disney Channel. Okay, um, so can we kind of go into that a little bit? Yes, yes, please. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite and least favorite Nickelodeon shows? Okay, so my earliest favorites, um, cartoon-wise, I loved Doug. I was so into Doug. Um I don't really know why. Um, I just, I remember I definitely had the orange VHS tapes of Doug um, episodes and they would do like, I think it was two or three episodes on a tape, but between the episodes, they would stick like these interstitial um, music videos or things he would do. And there was one. Yeah, like banging on a trash can. Yes, drumming on a street light. Yeah. Um, I love like the beats, like he would do like, just so funny. It was so funny. Like I still, I need to go back and watch, um, those now, but I'm a little bit scared because that is one. You should also check out the Disney version. People don't give that enough credit, but I, okay. I remember. Okay. So that's one at the time I remember being like, "Mm, Disney, they've, they've taken, they've taken down my Doug. Like I was not in the movie. I wasn't that into the movie. Um, but I, I, I need to revisit all of it because I haven't, I haven't really watched any of them since I was little. And I'm a little bit scared that like, if I go back, <laughs> let me enlighten you a little bit. The, the creator of that, the creative Doug, Jim Jenkins, he actually prefers the Disney one. Wow. Okay. Cause he could do more and tell more stories instead of two 11 minute stories. It was one 30 minute Continuous. Okay. You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that my reasoning was pretty shallow because I think it's, I have a distinct memory that they cut Patty's hair and she had short hair and I, I didn't like that, um, which was probably actually more of a, a, of like an equality thing where I think she wore pants in the Disney one. Like they made her not, you know, her, just like this pretty little Barbie. But at the time I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, I need, I need my old Patty back, which terrible. But um, I do remember kind of being very bitter about that change. Um, so Doug, that was probably my biggest Nickelodeon cartoon obsession. Um, later, like I loved Ah Real Monsters. That was one I got really into. Also, obviously Rugrats. Um, 
wasn't into Ren and Stimpy. That was a little too edgy for me. I couldn't handle it. it was, my mom thought it was too gross. So I was like, you know, prejudiced against it. Like, it was, And there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. So we don't need that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so maybe I was just, you know, the smart one there. But uh, so then uh, live action Nickelodeon loved Hey Dude. Um, Salute Your Shorts. Again, that was a little bit like eh, kind of gross out boys at camp too much. But I um, Hey Dude, I was more into um then obsessed 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 with all that and the amanda show um that i thought and i still think was was a genius concept to make saturday night live for kids like in a and it i have gone back and watched quite a few of those sketches i did a piece with Lori beth denberg a couple years ago and um like they hold up that is some funny stuff like <laughs> when i when i got to talk when i got to talk to Kel. For the podcast in our because we've been going for we've been doing our podcast for 11 years and he was on like our second year of the show and i made him do the ed voice for yes. the good for the thing i mean, oh my god amazing amazing um like yes those kids so talented the characters they created legendary um detective dan man yes and the this is a library like there are just so many like you know um iconic skits and you know keenan in the bathtub um like and obviously like he went on to be snl and everything but yeah i just feel like that show was so smart and uh and they had musical guests like that that was one of the like I was so jealous of them as well. Like they just like they were having so much fun. I wished I could be a kid on on all that. Um, loved it. And Amanda like Amanda Bynes like she was my age. Like they were doing cool things and they were kids. Like uh, that was the dream. Um, so I loved those shows. Uh, what else? Nickelodeon. Um, Did you watch any of the game shows? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, Legends of the Hidden Temple. I was never in, like I said, I lived in Orlando. I probably could have been a contestant on one, but I don't even remember. Like I never applied. I never tried. I don't. Like, You're like 25 years too late. Sorry to tell you. I know. But like, I, I don't think there was the, it didn't seem possible in the way that I think now it would seem possible to a kid where you would just go online. Like you would find a way to just get on a show or to be in an audience of a show it felt like a like you would have to mail a postcard and there were there a lot of you know tangible steps you had to take um but i love legends of the hidden temple i really watched all of them i liked guts guts was a little too i'm not a very athletic person and it was a little just too like physical feet focused i liked yeah, like legends, american, Leg- american gladiator yeah exactly like so I like the Legends of the Hidden Temple. Like there were puzzles they'd have to figure out. They had to find the pieces and, you know, put the, the little statue together. There were different like things that weren't just relying on you being able to climb something fast. Um, what was like video arcade? Um, oh, yeah. Nick Arcade. Love it. <laughs> Nick Arcade. Yeah. Um, that was cool. Oh, I love well, they would do those. um what was that called? It was like a field day thing. And they would film it outside at Nickelodeon studios and the different teams in neon colors. And oh, um, wild ne- and crazy kids. Yes, wild and crazy kids. Yes. I yeah. always wanted to be on that. Oh, but the, 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 the granddaddies were, um, figure it out. And, um, what's the Mark Summers one with the nose? Double dare. Du- no, wait, is it double dare? Yes. But or was, double no, dare. Du- or what, no, would, what the- would you do? 
what would you do? What would you do? Yes, yes, yes. With the pie, the pie chair. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Yes, I love that. I need to go. I have spent so long since I've watched those. I need to go find them. But as far as Disney Channel, where do you stand on that? Love Disney Channel. I, um, so I remember um, I, at the time, it used to be just on premium cable, like an HBO. And we didn't get, yeah. we didn't subscribe to that. But somehow I convinced my parents, this is like, really dating me because they, this is like a foreign concept to, to kids now, but like somehow I got them to like sign up for a package that would just add Disney channel to our current cable offering. And it like, was like literally like a little box, like a little, um, like a smaller version of a big DVR box that I just like, they added on top of our TV and it literally just let us access Disney channel, nothing else. Um, and so I think that was like in 98. So I, um, got really into so weird. I loved so weird. I you were right at the height of the Disney Channel original movie too. Oh yeah, all yeah. Brink, um, Johnny Tsunami. Like I've done a few. I interviewed um, Brandon Baker. We did a thing on, on for Vice on Johnny Tsunami. Um, I actually I went to elementary school with uh, Kirsten Storms, who played Xenon. I didn't know her. Uh, she was like a couple years older than me, I think. Um, but like I loved Xenon. I uh, loved all of it. And then like Lizzie McGuire, that, you know, was my obsession uh, yeah, as well. I'm, I, one of the shows that I want to do kind of interviews for is Bug Juice. <gasps> yes. Yes. Bug Juice was so interesting. I think Bug Juice predated Survivor by like a year. A year. Mm -hmm. It was like the, like reality TV um, other than the real world was not even happening at that time. And they did kids reality TV. Um, I think, I don't know if you've read Vice did an oral history a couple of years ago on bug juice. And then they had another piece. Uh, one of the writers actually knew a girl that was on it. And like one of the girls who got sent home from camp. Oh my God. Really? And it was like revealing what really happened and why she was sent home. And it was kind of messed up and there were some dark things. Um, but I recommend that I'll send you a link. Like, um, but bug juice. Yeah. That's a really interesting one. That and totally circus. Yeah. Which is like I the circus performing kids. My, my cousin friend from college was on that show. <gasps> Amazing. I, I don't know who, like, I don't know. We don't really keep in touch anymore, but like it, um, yeah, that era of Disney channel show interesting because it was before it was just like when like Hillary Duff was getting into the fold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when do you think, you know, with things like Rosie, things like Nickelodeon, things like Disney Channel, sort of stopped having that um, free-spirited kind of just, um, you know what I'm saying? I feel like everything stopped at a certain point. Well, I mean, I think that there's just so much more access now and so much more instant feedback. Um, like, you know, 20 years ago, you put a show on TV, uh, maybe something, there's a controversial line or storyline. So what happens? Um, someone puts out a statement from like, 
the parents of America concerned about our youth or whatever organization, uh, they put out a statement that's read by like who a couple, you know, fuddy duddy, like older newspaper people read it, but the kids aren't getting that feedback. They're not seeing the reactions. Um, maybe a few angry um, viewers hand write a letter and mail it into the station. Maybe hundreds do, but that's not necessarily they're not all seeing that everyone else is saying the same things they are. So then, you know, fast forward to 20, maybe like say 2008, 2010, uh, MySpace, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all of this explodes. Suddenly you put a show out, there's something controversial people don't like. You have thousands of instant feedbacks coming your way. Not only are you seeing it, the rest of America sees it. Journalists are seeing it. Everyone's seeing it. It gets blown up very quickly. One of my favorite pop culture isms and it's so funny because you and i can relate to this on some level and it's arthur on <gasps> PBS. loved arthur and so good that show is finally ending after mm-hmm. its 25 year run wow. but even then it had some controversy in its time mm-hmm. like with the Mr. Rapper getting married a few years back and the whole bit. So even on a kid platform like that, you can't really shy away from people getting angry. No, and I think, I mean, that's something Disney Channel too has been doing more of lately um, with like Andy Mack. I love this show. Was the first show that had a gay main character or who was openly gay um and then the new animated show owl what's it called owl house um that has yeah. like pansexual characters and i and haven't showed... seen it yet but I'm i haven't seen it, it either out. but i was reading about it yeah um so i think and, and that's kind of expected now um that you know there is more of a duty to um push the envelope to to show a more equitable landscape um in a way that that it wasn't necessarily in scripted tv uh in the 90s and early 2000s um but yeah i mean i think that you know so yeah i I guess it's it's kind of two sides because maybe they're not as freewheeling now but they're also kind of able to be more purposeful in the types of stories that they're telling um and more explicitly uh, catering to, to that, to different audiences. Did you ask a question during your Rosie piece where people were like, wow, I never thought of that. Or like, wow, it's cool that you asked that. Or are there moments during the interview process that stuck out to you? Hmm. Um, I think, you know, like a lot of people, what I, well, I was surprised, you know, so many people said, um, that that show was the highlight of their career or was one of the best shows they ever worked on. And and a lot of those people that wasn't like the end of their career. Like a lot of them were just getting started and they've worked on tons of talk shows, tons of popular things. And um, so, and I feel like when you look back at something uh, it's maybe to a degree, you put on some rose colored glasses, but you also, kind of, you know, once you've had other experiences that weren't as good, you're like, wow, I didn't realize how good I had it. And that's what a lot of people kept saying, like, you know, wow, like when you lay this all out and you look at um, 
you know, the, the way she created a nursery for everyone's kids to go to um, a childcare center on set, uh, the, the way she would um, pay them between seasons. Like that's not that common in, in talk shows and in TV. Like you, when you're not working, you don't get paid. Um, and like, so I think there, there, there were quite a few people that like, when you look back on it now and you're like saying, wow, look at how that environment was, look at what will happen. You kind of realize um, it was so special. And I think a lot of people were really just like so happy to revisit it. Um, that doesn't always happen. You know, some people, <laughs> there are some, there are some shows and movies and things that we love that the people that worked on them, you know, they break your heart. And then you, you find out, Oh, it was actually not a great environment. It wasn't um, their favorite thing they ever did, even though we loved it so much. Um, so I think with Rosie, that was, you know, everyone I talked to pretty much really just felt like it was such a defining show for them. So before we, before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, you know, what's a fun fact that you can give to our audience to kind of tease the article a little bit before they go off and read it if they'd like? The things that people saw on TV with the Rosie O'Donnell show just kind of scratched the surface of how special it was um, behind the scenes uh, for the people making it, for the guests that came to visit. Um, you know, the Rosie that you saw on screen, was she exactly the same off screen? Not exactly. But, you know, one of the quotes that I really like that um, one of the producers told me, uh, because Rosie early on got branded the queen of nice, that was, you know, on the cover of Newsweek and kind of set up her for her to be this like, sunshine, cheery person all the time. Um, but one of the producers, you know, the way she put it was, Rosie wasn't the queen of nice. She was the queen of fair. Um, so she was treating employees fairly. She was, um, had extremely high expectations for the people that worked on that show, um, expected long hours, expected, um, them to, to put in the work and to not slack. And, you know, was that a fun environment for everyone? No. Um, but you know, from what I can tell, ultimately, um, from what people have said, like it wasn't the kind of abusive or um, toxic environment that maybe we've heard about from uh, other shows. Um, so I think it's worth reading to, to kind of hear from all the various people that worked on the show, what it was really like behind the scenes. So I just want to say thank you for hanging out with us. This is my first interview with someone located in, in Australia. So it, was <laughs> it, it was really cool to coordinate this and be able to do this. No, thank you for working with my schedule and, and staying up a little bit later. Hey, I'm up super late. So it's, it's <laughs> okay. So where can people check out your work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ashley Spencer. Ashley has two Y's in it because some other Ashley Spencer took the regular Ashley Spencer before I got there. Um, you can go to my website, which is ashleymspencer.com, which again, someone else took the just plain Ashley Spencer. Um, and, and you can see links to all of my articles on there. The Rosie article is also pinned on my Twitter. Um, yeah. And um 
yeah, I, I would love for you to read my work and uh, follow me. Well, if I haven't said it enough, which I have, I loved your piece and I love your work and I loved talking pop culture with you. Here's hoping we can talk again soon. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, this was great. Thank you, Bob. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present. 